Good morning, everyone. Good afternoon. Good evening. Hello. Thank you for listening to Pierre, Pierre Pressure, Pressure Podcast. Podcast. My name is Pierre de Gaillon. I'm the host of this show where I speak to musicians, creative people, artists, songwriters about the intersection of politics and music. In this episode, episode, episode 25, 25, we made it to 25 episodes. This is very exciting. It's been really fun making this podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to those who have stuck around and listened to it all the time and who subscribe and continue to send in comments and send in encouragement and questions and all the things you do. I appreciate it. Anyway, this is episode 25. And on this episode, we are two weeks away from a little uh, election here in the United States. Uh, No big deal. Just trying to figure out who's going to live at the uh, big white building in Washington, D.C. And this is the most obvious, redundant thing in the world, but make sure you know where you're voting, when you're voting. If you haven't already voted, go online, just double-check that you're registered, and go vote on November 3rd or I was really happy to talk to Tony Scalzo from the band Fastball. So Fastball was a band that had a string of hits in the late 90s, early 2000s. If you hear their songs, you know them. They've been on the radio constantly. You hear them in your supermarket. You hear them in your car. They're amazing songs. Tony Scalzo is one of the members of Fastball, a three-piece from Austin, Texas. He's written many of those songs that are giant hits that continue to endure to this day and I know Tony because we both grew up in Orange County California and we had mutual friends which led us to become friends back in the early 2000s when I was touring with my band I got to know him and we got to play together a couple times and I was really happy to talk to him on this podcast because throughout the years I've noticed that he continues to be very politically engaged and is one of those people who seems to know what's going on and is not afraid to speak out and he knows what's up and he knows what's going on politically and he makes educated statements that are not based on complete bullshit Bullshit. so it's really refreshing to talk to tony because he's in my opinion one of the great songwriters of our time and also a dude who likes to talk about politics so he's really perfect for peer pressure so we talked about all manner of things political also kind of dived into our history in Orange County, his history, musical history, uh, going from California, then moving to Austin, Texas, got into all the particulars of his journey with having a massive hit and a bunch of hits and kind of navigating the music industry back when there was a music industry, sort of right at the tail end of it. So it was really fun to talk to him. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Tony Scalzo of Fastball. But before we listen to that, I'd like to play you my newest protest song. It's called Big Flag. And it is my statement about what I see around my neighborhood, my country, my state. So please enjoy my latest protest song, Big Flag, written from the point of view of people who love to wave giant flags. And right after that, we will listen to my talk with Tony Scalzo. Enjoy. (laughs) 
than your flags, bigger than my signs, bigger than all the signs on your lawn. My gun's bigger than your hair trigger, than my gun's bigger than all your tanks and your bum. My conspiracy fake news rabbit hole paranoid dark web is better than any drug. My truck's bigger than your truck's bigger than my ATV will crush you like a bug. Let's go pump the last drop of oil And melt all the glaciers with the polar bears Let's drive a tank through the Amazon And pave all the forests into parking lots Let's take a dump on the Constitution And toss it on the Statue of Honest Abe You're telling me that there's a possible solution But I'm not interested if I have to cooperate Allow me to elaborate My flag's bigger than your flag's bigger than my signs bigger than all the signs on your lawn. My fear's bigger than your fear's bigger than my hair trigger than all your peace and your love. My red's redder than your blue's truer than your white's whiter than any red, white, and blue. My one and one equals three, two and two equals five. Don't believe it, I'll crush the truth like a slug. Bigger than your flag. Donuts break some laws and hug me like a firefighter. My flag's bigger than any flag. Nozzle in my tank and pump until it overflows. My flag's bigger than any other flag. Light up and shoot it down, just set it all on So we were get, r- going down memory lane about um, the last time when I got massively lost trying to get to your house. It was South by Southwest. I think it was like, I don't know, 2012 or something, 11. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. About a while back, 10 years maybe. Yeah. And uh, you were kind enough to let me stay in your place. I was, I think I was, I don't know, I was playing with a band or something at South by Southwest. So uh-huh. it's been a while. and. You know, a lot has happened. Yeah, a lot has changed. A lot has changed. The South by Southwest this, this year was canceled. I know, I heard uh, about that. When's the last? That... Just about a, like two weeks before. Were you planning on happen. doing anything there? Were you playing or anything? No, it's not. I mean, it's not anything like it was anyway. Right. It's quite insane. Um. You know, it started out being this awesome indie rock. Uh, well, not just rock, but just indie music. Um, it's really a convention. Right. Now they call it a festival now, and it's, it's that's not accurate. It wasn't really a festival. A festival implies that in one place with a giant, you know, group of stages all in the same place and, you know, on the same 
couple of days, but this this thing had, you know, it had speaker panels, it had exposition, it had, and obviously it had band showcases, and, you know, they were put in clubs all over the town, and you were able to go from one place to the next using your your brochure and your map, and you're like, well, I'm, at, you know, at whatever, 8 o'clock, I'm going to see so-and-so, 9 o'clock, I'm running, I'm getting in a cab, and I'm going to see so-and-so over here and that's and that's how it was right um you know and, and about 2007 2008 it started like jumping the shark it started becoming like lady gaga's playing at the you know the doritos stage <laughs> right and it's just parties and and crazy you know just out of control money right and uh you know i know for people in austin it's just kind of lame like it's a good time to get People out of now town leave. yeah exactly yeah they're just like time to go i'm right. gonna rent my house out and make a fortune <laughs> right exactly so let's go yeah. back man let's go back you grew up in in orange county yes i know like all we know a lot of peripheral people in common i don't think we met until later in life but like right. I know that we met scene through aj through aj right but you were mm-hmm. back in the day so like you were in a i remember you in uh this band electric kool-aid but you were in some other bands before that what was it like in the 80s or 70s or whatever, 80s in OC for you? What was that like? Um, in the 70s, in like late 70s, I was becoming a teenager, basically. I was in junior high in 70, 77, 78. I went into high school, you know, through the late 70s into the 80s. So you're talking Cheap Trick, Van Halen, you know, Ted Nugent. Yeah. Aerosmith, Cal Jam 2, that kind of thing. Um, a lot of uh, partying. What's Cal Jam? Cal Jam was a giant uh, festival. We were talking about festivals at Ontario Motor Speedway, and they did the first one. I think it was 75 with like people in Black Sabbath, and it was massive, just huge. Like, you know, not 100,000 people, if, if not 100,000, you know. 80 wow. to 90,000 people. And then by 78, had this thing called Cal Jam 2, which uh, televised on local television. And 70. it was insane, you know? Yeah, yeah. you're talking about these bands at the time. So how'd you get started playing music then? What was your beginning of playing music? Yeah. My beginning was, I, you know, I was influenced by, you know, that scene. And I wanted to be... In Van Halen, you know, in a band that was doing that, yeah, yeah. something like that, right? Yeah. yeah, something like that. But you know what? I found out. I mean, I wasn't really like blown away by whatever the punk news stories, like Time Magazine or whatever. It was like, I don't know if I can relate to this. I was like, I was like, I don't know. It seems a bit weird. Uh, but you know what? I, I some of my friends started getting into it especially older people in my neighborhood right yeah and they were getting i was already playing with some dudes so you were playing guitar from an early age or? i was playing bass, bass. In, a, in, in a band i didn't know any other way i wasn't good enough to be a lead guitar player in a band and i was a kid and i was real little and um i i ended up hooking up the, the older kids who were playing so I'm like a freshman and they're like seniors, right? Okay. Driving around. Yeah. Uh, we had a 21 year old lead singer. <laughs> Who was so that? The beer was flowing. 
this guy named Gary Jackson. I I I, I haven't seen him in 25 years. I I, I don't know where he is. What band was that? Um, <laughs> it was this band, um, <laughs> and we were called Jagetta Hit. Jagetta Hit. J e g e t t a h i t. Like Jagetta. Like. I gotcha. I hear it. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, did, right. did you do you have any recordings of that? Okay, well, he we did a little bit of recording. He may have gotten something out. That'd of that. be hilarious if you could find Mainly it. Mainly, it was just to get a hit. Learning how to be in a band. No, you can't find it. Oh, Ain't okay. No finding. Okay, there's no finding. Yeah. Okay. But I was really looking to be in a band that played like clubs around like L.A., yeah. Hollywood. You know, there wasn't really much going on in Orange County yet. Um, the but how did you start playing? Made, did you did you just teach yourself? Like, I'm just curious. Going back, uh, musically, yeah, I'm, I've got a background in music. I was given piano lessons oh, when okay. I was about six. That makes sense. That that makes a lot of sense. That actually answers a lot of questions for me about right. So I mean, I could do stuff. Yeah. I could pick up an instrument and sort of, you know, eke out a tune. Right. So you but, were on piano, uh, and then you decided I want to play guitar or bass or whatever. No, they um. You know, they didn't have a piano player in the school band, right. so trumpet. Trumpet? So you started playing trumpet in the marching band? Mm-hmm. You got into trumpet. That's funny. I started playing trumpet when I was eight, too. And then you're yeah. in band and stuff. And, and I switched around a little bit in band. I was able to get into, like, some low brass and um, learning some orchestral kind of playing, being able to play with, like, 20 or 30 other musicians, yeah. um, being conducted, um that kind of thing. And then the right. marching band was another, you know, that's another deal. Yeah, by the time I got to junior high, though, I had a guitar. My parents got me a guitar. I was learning how to, you know, play along to records and play along to the radio. Yeah. And um, so by the time I was uh, 14, there was a group of guys who were older, and they had a band. And this is the band I was mentioning to get a hit. Yeah, and um, that this was in Tustin, and we started playing stuff that was our own, that was written by a couple of the guys in the band, and we would do covers of everything from like, you know, Born to Be Wild, right. to we were actually playing like Beat on the Brat and, uh, you know, like God Save the Queen. So we were, <laughs> you know, we were informed by punk rock already, but we weren't really like. <laughs> We looked like more like Mud Honey than a punk band, you right. know, because we, we were just like flannel shirts and long hair, and and uh, we're hippies. Yeah. And um, but then after a while, I mean, I started really getting into what was happening, um, you know, especially in Southern California, because we had a radio station called KNAC. Oh yeah. And, and I'm not talking about the metal KNAC. I'm talking about the it was a sort of modern rock station out of long beach okay and they played like the the x album they played los right. angeles they played devo they played you know this is before kroq because kroq kind of started doing that yeah too. a little bit yeah kroq didn't have that big signal the thing is kroq got that signal though once they got their studio in pasadena i think and then boom that was like major okay so by 1980 you had k-rock yeah playing all this music from England and um, not to mention, you know, like the cars and, yeah. you know, like I said, police, Blondie, 
Um, you know, have, and then you have Richard Blade coming in, right? Bringing in this sort and of, Jed the Fish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I mean, and it, then it became the biggest influencer in the country. Absolutely. As far as yeah. what. Yeah. And that later that it would, I didn't have any idea that later on it would have so much to do with my band Fastball's success. Oh, really? Because, yeah, I mean, if you were able to get on, look, if if Jed the Fish was playing you at 4 o'clock yeah. in the afternoon and you're driving down 134 and boom, you hear your song on the radio, yeah. it's, it's time to maybe quit your day job. <laughs> right. Because... <laughs> you know, Cause it's happening. That's, Amazing. that's how it was. Yeah. That's and, cool. You know, it's different now, but you know, fastball had, we charted only really charted like, you know, top 10 on modern rock. Yeah. But back in 1998, modern rock, that was like the thing that was like the ultimate chart. It was better than the top 100. Yeah. So, but that's not the way things are today. You know, I know. Well, because, um, well, that kind of, brings me to the question of like songs like what a song is because like modern rock you're talking about songs people who can write a song you know people people wanted to hear right. song based rock so in your opinion so you started off playing all these covers and stuff and learning how to learning what a song is like what do you think what is a song to you there's a lot of stuff on the radio some of it is songs well, and some um, isn't yeah i think that i think that the like maybe in the musician industry speak yeah. I would call a song something that somebody sings, uh-huh. like a piece of music that's that's not too long that somebody sings. Yeah, right. But you know, and then there's works or pieces of music that are like you know instrumentals, and you know like jazz music and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, even though we call them songs, I mean you don't call a Mozart piano sonata a song. What about hip hop? Um, well, you know, they call them hip, they call them tracks and they call them right. jams and they call them, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's songs too. Sure. Right. There's a lot of different things. So the, I, I love hip hop and like, but I'm just curious about like what, because I think songwriting is like a, a really specific art form and you're really good at it. You're one of the best in my opinion. And so it's like, what does that mean? And like, how did you gravitate right. to that? Well, first of all, thanks. Um, I'm influenced by the Beatles, and right. I'm influenced by Elvis Costello and Bob Dylan yeah. and Bruce Springsteen and people who, you know, really seem to have their career revolved around these little vignettes, yeah. you know, that they that they've you know plucked out of the air, you know, seemingly. Yeah. And, and all those it's people. more of a yeah it's more of a drop a drop you know like a song is like something that you know it's so small and seemingly insignificant and yet it can have so much power over you know people
Well, I want to ask you, so you've been writing for a long time, and do you write on piano, on guitar? How I does that work for you? on whatever. Um, sometimes I don't even... I've written songs laying in bed. Like, yeah, just like... Oh, yeah? Coming up with a, you know, a lyrical idea and maybe getting a cadence down with the words to get, you know, a sort of poetic form to it that has rhythm. And that's the first yeah. start. And if I keep that going by the morning i might be able to you know add a pick up a guitar and like start strumming some chords and singing a, a melody i mean that would obviously be the simplest and usually, easiest way to do stuff if that can happen does that usually start with the lyrics does it always pretty no. much start with the words mm -mm. for you no i don't sometimes i do sometimes but no music. not always for sure and, and less than you know, less than coming up with a musical idea, because I think that's where the compositional stuff comes in for me. It's like I get musical ideas, like I'll hear just even, you know, maybe five notes, and it might be stolen from some other song, like the middle part of some song might turn into right. this new verse. And then, you know, I'm building a structure musically right. and then adding words. Like I got tons of instrumentals that need right. words. But you know, and that's kind yeah. of a that's a that's kind of a pothole, you know, <laughs> when you're like, oh fuck, I got this great right. musical idea, and can't put anything to it. What's it about? Right. What's yeah, it exactly. about exactly? So going back to OC, like in the '80s and stuff, you, I'm trying to talk about politics yeah. on this podcast. Was there like an was there a political kind of vibe for you, like as a kid with the when you started making music and stuff, were you aware? I mean, we grew, grew up in like Reagan, 80s, Orange County, super conservative. Right. Well, I was clueless. Yeah. Because I came from a place that I didn't even know was as conservative as it is. Right. I had no idea. And plus my Me dad, neither. my dad was a career Marine. Okay. So, and he retired from the Marine Corps when I was about 10. Yeah. And, you know, church, Boy Scouts, the whole nine yards. It was yeah. like, uh, he was pleased when I cut off my long hair. And, you know, okay. he's like, oh, that's great. Let me just clean that up for you. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, he didn't get it at all, but he didn't like right. the Beatles. Shit. He didn't like Elvis Presley. You know what I'm saying? Really? He was, like, he was born in 1925, my father. Oh, my God. So he's a Frank Sinatra kind of guy, you know, he's Italian, yeah. so Perry okay. Como and all that stuff. But my mother was a lot younger, and my mother was into rock and roll. My mom was into Elvis Presley when she was in um, high school. And she even went to high school with Dwayne Eddy in Arizona. Oh, wow. Yeah, and my uncle, her brother, was a, a pal of his and actually played guitar. Yeah. Um, so she had a little bit of a background, and she got it what I was what I was trying to do. But, yeah. You know, it was a different world for them, and they didn't really like me not going to school and playing in some band with a bunch of older dudes drinking beer and smoking. And yeah. um, you know, but I did what I, I needed to do, and I was super driven. And right. It was just that kind of thing, you know. And you know, well, I tenor. 15 years down the road, my dad had no problem with it because, you know, he saw the success right. that I had uh, managed to fall into. That's great. 
My first awareness of your singing was, I think I got a, I was friends with Nick Showback. He lived across the street from me. Yeah. And he was, I think Electric Kool-Aid used to practice across the street at his house, if I'm not mistaken, on, on Magnolia, Magnolia Avenue. I don't know if that um, rings well, a bell. Well, they practiced at a lot of places. You gave me, I think Nick gave me a tape. It was a cassette of Electric Kool-Aid and it had, it was blue and okay. it had a song about like you're in you're in the team now, but you're playing a losing game. Does that <laughs> ring a bell? <laughs> this big team Big he league game. That song. Okay, was that Electric Kool Aid? Yeah. What was that? It what was band was last, that? It was the final version of Electric Kool Aid. So I could still sing that song. I still have that melody in my head. It was like super catchy. That's a I think funny that was you history. Singing. Yeah. That band had Darren Murph or Darren McNamee. Mac, yeah. And he was probably the longest running singer, but a bunch of singers. I mean, even Mark McGrath was a singer of Electric Kool Aid. Right. For a, a very brief window. Yeah. Who went on to be in uh, Sugar Ray. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, friends today. We're friends today still. That's we still good. do some stuff with them. Um, right. But cool. politics, we didn't know. Right. We didn't it was just a party. Shit, you know? And, and then yeah. punk rock sort of made it like Reagan sucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> exactly. I started kind of like getting into it a little bit deeper and I started realizing a big difference between, say, Los Angeles punks and Orange County punks, or even yeah. to get to get even more disparate, San Francisco punks. Yeah, you're talking about some real stuff going on, like real activism and real. Right. Oh, and not to mention the exposure to you know to different cultures. African American culture in San Francisco is a lot. Right. Is a lot more common than it is in Orange County. Absolutely. So, you know, you start learning about stuff, and and then you start listening to some of these bands that might really know what they're talking about. Bands like the Dead Kennedys, and yeah, even some man. of the British bands like Crass. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, and I got into the whole aesthetic of it first. I was like, yeah, fuck the system, energy, blah blah blah, right? Right. Not really knowing what it meant, and in fact, I. At, at one point in the early 80s, I was playing with some dudes, and we were playing some like kind of jazz music, actually. And it was, a, mm -hmm. it was totally different. You know, punk didn't last too long for me because it's like, you know, hooray. Not a lot you to know, grab onto musically. Yeah, I love exactly. it, but I mean, I'm not going to play hardcore all my life. It's just not going right. to happen. And yeah. um, so I was playing in this weird band with a guy... Um, that was a real anarchist. Yeah. Like, he's really, like, he studied all kinds of, you know. Right, it's an actual political theory. In, yeah, yeah. In, in Europe and, like, Spain mm -hmm. had an anarcho-syndicalist, uh, and France as well. And, and France as well, yeah. Yeah, so, mm -hmm. you know, he knew about this stuff, and I told him, yeah, man, anarchy, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, 
<laughs> you, know, yeah. you, you don't know. You think of it as a cool like. little patch. <laughs> to you, it's yeah. a patch you can put on your jacket to freak out the teachers or whatever. All I know it's, is <laughs> I, I know what I didn't like. I, right. and, I, and I knew I didn't like our government doing right. stuff, um, doing stuff in Central America. Exactly. I didn't like them doing stuff in Iran. And mm-hmm. I didn't like what was happening with the Afghanistan thing. I didn't like any of that stuff. And I could right. tell there was something wrong. And, mm-hmm. you know, my father was in Vietnam. And wow. as much as I, I uh, you know, respect him and his ideals, um, he was there for no fucking reason. Yeah, exactly. In my opinion. No reason. Right. Yeah. And all those people that died, they died from... Uh, unfounded fear and they died mm-hmm. from uh you know messing with a bunch of poor people exactly and testing out weapon systems and things right. like that and you know it's been all about at least in the 20th century and i'm sure farther back but 20th century is about america's government working to protect the elites and the For rich sure. and yeah the rich getting richer and if you can make the middle class comfortable and the working class feel like they don't really need anything then you can walk all over them and make billions of dollars right and that's happening right now obviously it's been yeah extreme end of it yeah Yeah. well the problem is they've really got it down to an art now because of social media right media makes everybody go one way or the other, right? Right. No facts. Can, you have your yeah. own facts. Yeah, exactly. And once you get it, like, you're on the train, you're going to go on that train's direction into yeah. some wild, weird places. And oh, that's absolutely. And it, and then there's algorithms in place to make sure you yeah. keep going keep deeper you, and deeper because yeah. it keeps the uh, machine, it keeps the profits coming in for the advertisers. <laughs> the more you it's click. It's remarkable. And it's yeah. really the reason we're where we are today. Yeah, absolutely. I would And, agree you know, 100%. COVID would have helped happened no matter what. It would have happened. Right. right. I mean, that's not the, that's not the Internet's fault. <laughs> exactly. Right. It, it's not even Trump's fault. It's not anybody's right. fault. It's just, you know. It's but disease. It is, right. It's nature. Yeah. yeah. It is it's surprising and unfortunate the way our sad-ass government has decided to deal with it and then all the people that would just be willing to go along and say well i don't really want to i don't want to think that so i'm not right it's too scary let me just find a really convenient and twenty thousand people are dead in our country so we're like at the end of we're, we're in october here we're really staring down the barrel of this massive election um that's coming up (laughs) you know it's insane i'm voting tomorrow I already voted my Good. absentee, so um, yeah. I just and like in my local elections, there was. I live in kind of a conservative New York sure. pocket, sure. Of suburban upstate New York. New York. Yeah. yeah, and it's kind of partly suburban, partly rural, and mm-hmm. um, there's not even any Democratic candidates for some of the um, local positions. Right. So I just left those blanks because you you couldn't get me to. I, I, I can't vote for a Republican if you put a gun to my head. I never will. I don't care. I know it seems ignorant and 
but I just I feel like they need to be punished. Also, if you're if you're a politician, even if you're a good one or you're a nice person, you're well meaning, don't be in the fucking Republican Party, dude. You just at this point, it just there's no excuse for that <laughs> for anyone, in my opinion. Well, so I can't I mean, ever I'll true. never vote for a Republican as long as I live. I agree with you. Um, I just left it blank. I believe that there was a time when you could excuse some of these. Oh, for sure. Some of the Republican, yeah. especially on, you know. Back when the Senate wasn't such a, you know, we got to hold the, our grip on the, on the. On power, no matter what. Well, yeah, yeah. the filibuster, right. Um, so you got someone like Mick, Mitch McConnell now who, though he does probably doesn't agree with Trump on everything. He probably doesn't think Trump knows he doesn't, anything. He thinks Trump's an idiot. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, he knows Trump's an idiot. At the same time, he's. He's holding the thing, and they're doing it. Oh, this yeah. week. I mean, they're just doing it. They don't. Give they're a just shit. doing it. They don't care. And, he knows he, he, he'll, he might lose his job, but he doesn't care. He's going out guns blazing. He's an old man. This is another thing yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. Why do these old men have any kind of stake in anything? I know. Why? That's that's a great question because I'm always asking myself, like, what are you getting out of this, Mitch McConnell? Like, you're old. You, you could retire. You, you're. I'm sure he has plenty of money. His whole family's taken care of, blah, blah, blah. Why does it turn you on to fuck up the country so bad? What is so exciting about that? I'm sure he doesn't. I'm sure he sees it as, you know, just protecting conservatism. Um, Values or whatever. I know that a lot of conservatives, like slash um, Republicans, they pine for a day that really never existed. Right. When things were supposedly simple, but that's because the the only voices heard were white right. males, <laughs> so it was real simple. Yeah. yeah, there was only one influencer, and that exactly. was the white dudes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was much easier to to figure out, organize. So um, I asked you to pick a song to play, and you pick you you you're performing a song called um, "Seat at the Table." So right. let's listen to it right now. Here we go. Nothing but a pile of broken bones You've got conditions 
great that was i i do i think that was great i mean i always i just like i'm fascinated by your songwriting man because you're just like your melodies and chord progressions and twists of melody are always so uh (laughs) agile man it's cool i'll tell you what i'm stealing i love it from from all kinds of things okay i know you are but you're stealing from really good people (laughs) well let's just look at the melody there at the beginning or at the chorus so yeah, the melody is like, if you're looking for a seat at the table, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, now that's a descending progression that goes, you know, on major scale. Um, dum bum 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 Right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And the melody on top. Yeah. The melody on top is a handle piece. Oh yeah. Bum, 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 bum. That's amazing, Right? That's what it is. And I literally stole it from that. I'm like, that's a thing. That's great. And and then I was watching the show, as far as the lyrics go, I was watching the show that I got obsessed with during lockdown. And it's called uh, La Piovra, right? La Piovra, I don't know. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. La Piovra was a very popular crime show from Italy and it okay. started in 84 and it ran all the way to like 2004. Do you speak and Italian? Sorry yes. to diverge, but your, your father's Italian, right? Or you, or was right. partly Italian? Yeah. Right. My father's Sicilian. My grandfather was came from Sicily to Got New it. Jersey and yeah. started this huge family called the okay. Scalzers and they're everywhere now. Okay. So, um, <laughs> Getting anyway, back to La Piovra. Yeah. Italian cops and the mafia. Right. And, you know, here's the deal. And it applies to politics, it applies to seats of power. Right. If you're looking for a seat at the table, you've got to deny what is true. You have to be okay with, you know, lying Ruthlessness. and believing yeah. lies. You have yeah. to. Yeah, And let's face it, human beings are the one species, and I think it's, it's one of our strong points, believe me, Yeah, that we're able to lie to ourselves. Right. 
that keeps us sane. It keeps us happy sometimes. It keeps right. us okay with uncomfortable things and, right. you know, the insanity of reality. Right. But nobody else can really do that. No, right. you know, a cat's not going to go, hmm, I'm not scared of, you know. Yeah, but a exactly. man can say he's not scared of something and believe it and go for it. Right. Right. A man can say, I'm not afraid of COVID. Right. I'm, if I get sick, I get sick. And then they go, oh, what? you know, after they get sick, they're like, geez, was I wrong? Yeah. God help me. <laughs> you know? I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Right. Like, like Trump just said. Yeah. yeah. And let's face it. The guy, let's look at Trump right now. He's, he's doing stupid things as far as a campaigner goes. Right. He's going and spending all this time with somebody like he was just on some show, some conservative show with some lady. I can't remember her name because why would oh, I yeah, yeah, yeah. all that crap? I don't know. I remember but that. He's yeah. spending 45 minutes, an hour with this woman who's got 300,000 listeners, right? Right. And all these, who's he, whose mind is he changing? Whose he's mind is he changing by yeah. going on Rush Limbaugh? Nobody. No, I know. He's right. doing absolutely nothing. He has a chance to say, wow, I got COVID, man. Yeah. Huh. I got to tell you, now I, I kind of understand, and I was I was mistaken. You right. Know? It's very dangerous. You could die. Can it sucks. Do Wear that? a mask. No, he can't he do that. He cannot do that. He we know he can't do that. that. And at this point and in American God politics. He actually. I'm grateful that he is who he is because he's going to lose the election. Yeah. Exactly. The question is not whether he's going to lose. It's whether it's how they handle it. If they if they jam in Coney Barrett, and then they try to um, dispute it yeah. in the Supreme Court, which is like the plan they've already told us they're going to do. So it's yeah. it's not very it's not very sneaky. But nope. I think at this point and for it's me, more like, like what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Exactly. Mm-hmm. At this point for me, the politic politics is not about what a shithead Trump is like, there's not, there's no. not a lot of people who don't know that He's anymore. It's just a distraction. Yeah. And like everyone knows, I think even people who vote for him pretty much know that it's more about how do you feel about democracy as a whole? Like, are you cool with it? Should we, should we fix it? Or are we just kind of doing power grabs now? Like the strongest win. And if we think, I think a lot of people are just like, ah, democracy, whatever. We're just going to win. Like Democracy's kind of played out apparently for some people on whoever's voting for Trump because yeah, it's clear that there's only one reason. There's only one reason, and it's dis- disinformation. Right. When when people and start, fear. they start villainizing the word democrat or democratic right. or democracy. Right. They villainize right. those words and or liberal. What does liberal mean? It means right. free. I'm free. Exactly. Right. Liberty. Exactly. Freedom. I know. Exactly. <laughs> so democracy. People. Democratic. Yeah. That's why I, th- I think it's hilarious that Antifa is a bad word. Your your dad fought against the fascists. I mean, well, I, I, was your dad in no, World War II? No, he was in World War II as well. Yeah. So your dad is Antifa. You know, like we're all like if you watch a World yeah. War Two movie, which who's voting for the Nazis? I'm not. I'm Antifa, man. I'm voting anti-fascist. You know, I'm right. rooting against the fascists. So if you're not Antifa, there's something really fucking wrong with you. You know, because <laughs> right. that's what it well, means. It means about, anti-fascist. Villainizing Black Lives Matter. That's, that's horrible to me. That's I, I've got yeah. some friends from Orange County who have put up posts on social media saying there was a Black Lives Matter rally in my town. They were having a parade. Thank God all these people came and shouted them down. Unbelievable. You know? 
I know. And because they're, they're afraid of the looting and rioting that's going to happen. Too much right. of that, those two words are looting and rioting. It's not. What, people need to have a voice. Protests are totally necessary to this country. Exactly. It yeah. has to happen. You have Somehow. to have dissent. Yeah. Well, that's the first step of fascism. These people is to just like, want to be equal to everybody else, like it says in the damn um, Constitution. Declaration of Independence. Right. Barack Obama a few weeks ago said, I think it was at the Democratic Convention, and he said, uh, we had this great idea, you know, and he points out the all men are created equal part of, of the Declaration of Independence. But, you know, it's kind of cool the way he comes for, full circle and says, but it's only an idea and it hasn't ever come to fruition. That's right. You know, It's never really worked out here yet. And so. a lot of people are really scared and bummed about the word racism, okay? Yeah. So too much to the point where they won't admit it's true because it's just too awful. Yeah. But if it's just too awful, then don't you need to confront it and deal right. with it? Do something but about instead it. Instead of just denying that it's that there is systemic uh, racism in the country. Right. This is a racist country. And I'm right. not saying that with any disrespect to the United States right. of America and its idea. Right. And to some of the great people that have come and gone here in the United States. I mean, it's great. And there are many things to be proud of. Sure. But just because the flag's waving and just because someone up in the Senate or up in Congress or the president says something doesn't mean it's true yeah and i think that um the part about i mean so the country was founded on racism and we sort of invented a specific kind of racism with well it slavery. gave us all the money that gave us yeah. the ability to create industry and to uh work with other countries and to really and not, become you know a viable economic power Absolutely. And it's not like this country is the only one. And there's not, you know, no, there's t many, plenty of other nations on earth that are well, guilty of. Yeah. Equal. England, England, England France, Spain, yeah. you know, the, the, Spain, the Inquisitions. Yeah. Is, yeah. The Crusades. Talk about Columbus, Columbus, you know, Columbus. Spanish, exactly. Yeah. Black and then the native. Who was a brutal slave operator, and, just a entrepreneur, basically, that had no problem dealing in human lives. Absolutely, As a commodity, and and you know, getting rid of the Native Americans. Yeah, getting rid of the. But so the problem is that for some people, confronting that history makes them feel attacked personally. You know, like Tony Scalzo, you're Italian American. If you <laughs> confront this Italian, then that you're saying your your ancestors are pieces of shit. I don't believe that. I mean, I'm French. My ancestors <laughs> did horrible shit to everybody all over <laughs> Africa, Give everywhere yourself. you name it. To Algeria, you know, themselves? to the Moroccans, to themselves, exactly. It's the just terror. bizarre, right? <laughs> right, exactly. To Robespierre, yeah, exactly. Yeah. My ancestors. And that's the thing, you know, people get scared of communism because they think that's or socialism. Heads are gonna roll. Heads are gonna roll. Right, right. right. How many heads have rolled? Capitalism? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> right, they keep rolling every day. All right, so yeah. let's take a little detour off of off of political ranting, even though I love doing it. Um, getting back to your songwriting, you were talking about like you, I love when you dig into like the songwriting of "Seat at the Table." So I'm gonna go back to like your songwriting. The way, obviously, is like I think your biggest hit, right? That probably changed everything for you guys in uh -huh. your life. 
That was the first one. I love that song so much, and it's got this amazing minor to major change. Right. And uh, I have all these theories about where you, whether you, uh, like, swiped it on purpose or just sometimes when songs come to your head, they just happen. You don't know why, and you might have had it this thing. But that's a really specific little songwriting trip trick, right? That minor to major. Sure. You know what I'm talking about? You find it so, actually. You know where you find it? Right away. Beatles. Any Sicilian folk music. Right. And you'll right. hear it pop up. I think specifically that song, Besame Mucho, Besame Mucho, you know that song? Yes, Besame of Mucho does the same thing. <laughs> it's um, a and cool the song, Delilah. Yeah. Tom Jones hit Delilah. Oh, it? yeah. Does it do that? Yeah. And you have that. That happens in your, a bunch of your songs. I've been listening to your, the newest Fastball album. Um, I'm into it. White... I think it's a great way to. Oh, it's a great trick. To yeah. Create it's... a new, um, like you, you just stepped out of one room into another. Exactly. Um, or, you know, maybe Dorothy opening the door from sepia tone, uh, you know, monochrome to technicolor. Exactly. And in like in the way it happens when you're exiting to eternal summer slacking, literally like the exit, right, is on that yeah. on that shift. Yeah, it's hinting in the, really, in the verse. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. So that song kind of like opened up a lot of doors. I mean, can you talk about that? Are you sick about talking about form. Yeah. Uh, because even people who don't speak English glean something from it. Um, it's a hit in Spain. It was a hit in Taiwan. It was a hit in Hong Kong, hit in Japan. Oh, there's a there's an amazing Swedish version. I'm sure you've heard it. <laughs> Have you heard the Swedish version? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, every once in a while, I do some digging. It's great. such a good song and it's, it's it can translate so yeah i hear what you're saying kind of like the musical form of it really kind of connects with a lot of cultures outside of just uh america and england because right. of the, mel the melody so so tell me a little bit about like how that what how how that came about like that song you know kind of oh that song it's a it's a 
well-told story, but uh, I'll give you the, 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 the 90 version. seconds. It's, yeah. um, you know, uh, well, the lyrical aspect is a true story. It's just a commentary on uh, a, a news story that had been in the right. papers and in the uh, local news around here. There's a couple that hadn't been seen in a couple of weeks. So, yeah. and I don't know anything about it, but I just started riffing on what might have happened to him. Right? Yeah. And turned it into this sort of dreamlike um, love story. Right. So not really morbid or anything like that. Just kind of like they wanted to get away and, you know, right. from responsibility. And now that they're older, they've had kids and they got grandkids and they just want to go off and be left alone. So they're right. in love, and, and that's the whole deal of that. Mm. And well, so give me a little background on like how fastball came together, and you know how the band kind of clicked. Yeah, <clears throat> we were a band for a couple of years before that song. Yeah, as you know, I moved to Austin mm-hmm. after having a lot of fun and doing a lot of great things. You know. In California, I was in a bunch of bands and saw a bunch of great things happen. And I was able to play some big shows when I was in Tender Fury, um, oh, which is okay. sort of sort of a offshoot of TSOL, Jack Richard. Right. And I was in that band for about a year, and we were able to play some places like in uh, Vegas and um, Phoenix and San Diego and we did these little regional touring things and it was super fun. And I learned a lot from him. Actually, Jack's a really wide, got a lot of wide tastes in music. And he turned me on to like some uh, kind of fancy slow jam R&B, which he was into at the time. And, nice. And, you know, guy's really talented. And, you know, you've seen, he's, I mean, shit, done all kinds of stuff. But, yeah. um... Then I, I'm like, I got this offer. I had a new baby, and I was poor. And I got this offer with Jamie Reedling to go and play for a singer-songwriter who had a deal. But the caveat was he lived here. And so yeah. it's like, go there. Be in this band with them. Go record an album. We'll give you some money. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, okay. Sounds good. <laughs> they didn't really give me money. That was the. There wasn't money to give. And uh, once I got here, I had to work my ass off. So I got a couple of jobs here and there, and I was playing with the Beaver Nelson Band. That's right. the guy's name. Yeah. And yeah. we actually managed to go to Memphis and record an album, which was another great, insane experience. Going to Ardent hanging out with Jody Stevens from Big Star, making oh, nice. a record at this place where ZZ Top Records and Replacement Records were made, living in Memphis for like five weeks, wow. you know, and just getting this great experience. Anyway, came back from that and then got fired. Me oh, really? and Joey, yeah, me and Joey, the drummer. Jamie's long since bailed, by the way. Jamie lasted about, I don't know, six months, nine months here. He's like, fuck this. It's too hot. I want to go surfing. So (laughs) he left. 
He left and Joey joined the band and we recorded an album with Beaver Nelson with Joey. But when we got done, uh, for some reason, Beaver wanted to get rid of us and work with some other people. So me and Joey are fine, you know, cool. Mm-hmm. Cool. And we started a band. And Joey Which says, one? I know this guy, Miles Zuniga. I was in yeah. the band with him, and we were on a major label. They were on Giant oh, okay. Records. They put out an album in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Yeah. And Miles is moving back from the Bay Area, and he's going to want to start a band here. You want to get with him? I'm like, fine. I got nothing else yeah. going on. Next thing you know, me and Miles are working out at my house, like listening to records, playing guitar, yeah, sharing songs. Next thing you know, we're a band and we're playing locally. It's very easy to, at that time, especially. Sure. Just, just yeah. Let's be a band. Let's play a show. Okay, next yeah. week, fine. Right. But we just never stopped and we never looked right. back and we started recording any chance we could get, any situation. We got into it. We were signed within three months to Hollywood Records because we were playing one of our regular gigs at the Hole in the Wall in Austin, Texas. And I'm walking out of the bathroom, boom, straight ahead is a guy I knew from L.A., vice president of Hollywood Records, A&R producer, Julian Raymond. I'm like, Julian, what are you doing here? No, I knew Julian because of doing the work with Tender Fury, and we were recording some stuff with him. But I'm wow. like, what are you doing here? He's in Austin. He goes, I'm here to see some bands. I'm like, oh, <laughs> cool, my band's playing tonight. He goes, what band? I go, what band are you here to see? He's like, uh, some band called Magneto. And I'm like, that's my band. Oh, really? He's like, yeah, well, my friend, Rob, my partner, Rob Seidenberg's here, and he wanted to come see you guys. So we're here. And he introduced me to Rob Seidenberg and we played a set and it's just that, that was the end of the story. I mean, he's like, that was great. I love you guys. I want to sign you. It's a classic tale of like when there was a record industry, it's just like industry fairy tale. Yeah, exactly. It's It's amazing. One of the last of those stories. I think it's it's like being rewarded. It's like the merit system. Like you got rewarded for your, talent and songwriting well, it wasn't immediate uh <laughs> i know but it's great what yeah. happened was we continued to do our sort of song oriented punk edged it's kind of like a a little bit more replacements yeah style of green day you know because i'm coming yeah. from southern california and i'm all yeah. about you know the descendants and you right. know all the stuff that you know, Nate and Nick and Jamie and all those guys got me yeah. into. Because uh, I saw Nirvana take off, and I saw Green Day take off after that. Right. I'm just mm-hmm. like, shit, it's so easy. It's how it felt, right? It just <laughs> felt really easy back then. Yeah, And so it never seemed hard, but once we got signed, um, they put us on the road in a van with following Matthew Sweet's bus, right? Mm, so okay. we're doing 45 shows in a month and a half and driving all over creation and running into all kinds of nightmarish, you know, scenarios yeah. <laughs> working hard, not making any money. And yeah. our record is tanking. We were selling maybe, I think we totally sold about five or 600 copies of our debut yeah. album. Okay. So came back to Austin, 
uh-huh, still a band, still popular because we're on the radio, still popular because we're on a major label. Um, but what's going to happen? We're afraid we're going to get dropped by Hollywood because we haven't sold any records. Okay. But some weird stuff happened over there, and the president of Hollywood Records at the time, I won't mention his name, but he was having some problems, and he was kind of off his, off his hinge, and okay. he got fired. So there's like no head. The octopus, yeah. La Piora. <laughs> La Piora has no testa. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he's, uh, Julian says, fuck it, come on, let's go in the studio, come out here and go to A&M and make a record that probably costs over $100,000 to make. Mm. And this was the second record. This was all the pain money can buy that had the whale. My daughter loves Out of My Head so much. She sings it all the time. Oh, that's it's a great nice. song. Well, it's yeah. also, you know, that's another story, but it's been picked up. It was picked up by some modern artists that made an, another pop oh, record. Right. Me, which is great. That's right. I remember like some kind of pop singer yeah, girl I had, or something like that. I didn't like have that. to do anything. All of a sudden, I'm getting another platinum record in the mail and a bunch <laughs> of money in the bank. That's great. But at the time, I was like, working, I was working probably 10 hours a day, baking bagels in the middle of the night, still playing shows with fastball, wondering what's going to happen. And, uh, you know, it took a long time because the record didn't come out for another six months. But just a few weeks before the record was supposed to come out, there was all this buzz going on in college radio across the country and alternative rock or modern rock as it was called at the time. Yeah. And then once K rock got a hold of it, um, I was gone and I was gone for about three years. Wow. And what year was that? That that came out? 98. Oh, 98. Okay. And then you're just on the road for three years. Yeah. I was curious. I I love like, your songwriting collab- collaboration, it always seems like there's kind of, I mean, you, I can always tell when it's your song and it's his song. Obviously, he's singing his songs, you're singing yours. You guys kind of even it out on the record, so it's kind of back and forth. And then you're playing, you're obviously like a bass player singer live with that band. What's that like for well, you? I mean, do you have well, people I, that you... I was. I was for about 10 years, but back now in you're not. the... I would say back in 2004, 2005, I started playing just guitar and keyboards. 
Yeah. And we would hire bass players, and we've gone through about 10 over yeah. the years. And uh, I've been basically co-front man with guitar in hand That's next cool. to Miles for the yeah, last Yeah, it must be years. a little easier because it's really no joke to be a bass player singing because singing those melodies and like playing really good bass lines over them while well, at thanks. the same time. I, I didn't really have too much of a problem with it. I mean, at first, yeah, I can with, tell. Each, you did with really each well. song, with mm-hmm. each song, it's a little bit difficult, but after a while you start, it's second it nature. It becomes muscle memory. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. Yeah, it's not that difficult. And I mean, even like Chris Squire and Getty Lee, I'm sure they'll tell you the same thing. That it's not that big of a deal for them. Yeah. Paul McCartney. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, Sting, whatever. I mean, there's definitely a tradition of people that, that do that. That guy's really cool... good. <laughs> Sting. <laughs> yeah, he's really good. I mean, my son likes the police. My eight-year-old. Yeah. He really. Well, likes I'm just that talking about singing here. Oh yeah, I've heard of it. It's pretty good. I, I should check it out. <laughs> <laughs> no, but my um, son really liked it, and I'm like, well, check out this other song by them. You like this? Yeah. So yeah. he's all into the police. My my daughter, my son and daughter really like this bass player, Paul McCartney, who sings and plays bass at the same time. You should check him out. It's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I want to ask you about OC versus Austin. Like you're, you grew up in OC. Now you're in Austin. That's like the, it's kind of this little progressive bubble in Texas. Like, yeah. how does that feel? You must have I haven't like... unfriended anybody from Austin. Okay. So Austin I, is really hanging I'll tell in there, you what man. I learned when I when I came here. I learned that education is important, and yep. a lot of the musicians here in Austin have college educations, and yes. and uh, I learned about uh, ethnic diversity and living together right. and working together and being together and having beautiful relationships with people of all walks of life. And, exactly. Um and. Nazis getting, you know, shunned. Racists right, exactly. getting shunned. There was a group here that used to wear, you know, they wore uh, braces and boots and, you know, penguin shirts, and they were fucking skinheads. And you're like, what the fuck are those skinheads? And then I somebody know. goes, oh, those are Sharpies. I'm like, what? what? Sharpies, skinheads against racial prejudice. Oh, okay. Uh huh. So they had those here at the punk shows, and you could see back in—I'll tell you what—back in '93, '94, on any given night, you could go see someone like DOA, or the Muffs are coming through, or Distorted Ponies coming through, or—I mean, it was insane. You could just see all these great bands any night of the week for like three or four dollars. Yeah. Well, I remember in, in Orange County, there was so much racist shit going on. Like at the Vandals show, I saw like skinheads yeah, with swastikas really and stuff. Too much. I only saw it once or twice. And then, then, but then you, you heard about all the anti skinhead, anti Nazi skinheads. I was kind of like, it was so much, it was so lame to be racist. I'm like, who would do that? Who would pick that group to be in? I don't know. It's weird. Right. So I, it just seems socially like social suicide to, pick the side of racism but apparently 40 percent of americans have decided that that's cool again for some reason um, well it's probably we'll because um they're goaded you yeah know, and, they're, and they're just they're, it's kind of like there's pressure to be like that now yeah i guess 
And then there's the straight up denial. I don't understand right in the face of it saying that it's not true. That it's not true. Yeah. When you have a president saying, yeah, it's true. Sexist, racist, you name it. And we need to turn it around somehow or I don't know how that's going to happen. Yeah, we really do. But we got to first we got to figure out if democracy works. Right. And that's what that's what that's what's at stake in this election. Let's see if this voting thing works and then let's get rid of the electoral college so that we actually right. have a democracy. And uh, also the media. Look, there's they, th- those Republicans they do have a strong argument that the media sucks. I wouldn't yeah. say that the mainstream media is the problem, but no. they sure don't help when they Fail well, they to give, mention the word peaceful protest, but they always bring up rioting and looting. Right. And you're talking about even on CNN, even on ABC News. Right. The only news I can stomach these days is NPR and PBS News and yeah, Reuters. And, yeah, New uh, York Times. Yeah. New York Times every morning. Uh, by the way, everything they're doing with this new Supreme Court nominee is uh, – Against the will of the majority of the United States citizens. Exactly. I Absolutely. mean, 60% believe they should wait. Yeah, I know. And they're just pushing then, it. They don't care about the will people of people. Then people just go, I don't, I don't do the New York Times. You know, do oh, I've had people. <laughs> right, I've had people talk my ear off about how the New York Times is just as corrupt Fuck. and this and this and that. Really? I know a lot of people who work for the New York Times and I've never heard any one of them say, oh, I got a, you know, my, my, my editor came in and handed me an envelope with a thousand bucks and said, if you say something nice about this guy, you know, you, it'll be good for you. That's some bullshit. That shit doesn't happen. The New York Times is just right. trying to report. Well, the internet is just too, it's got its hold on people in, in one way or another. So I want to ask you um, about your new record, The Help Machine sounds a little different it's like a, it's got a kind of a more of like a some of the songs have a new wave kind of vibe um okay i i was my but then again it's so funny kind of like, 80s you mean yeah kind of 80s yeah and you and miles have a very different songwriting styles but they they yeah. they, they work together but like your 70s he sounds a little more 80s these days but it's cool it's kind of like back and forth and the whole thing the, the sound is cohesive but, uh, well, the sound is cohesive because the producer put all those things together to make one unit that exactly. I think he's the jelly or the peanut butter, really, and yeah. or the bread. <laughs> 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 and, you know, it's, uh, it's Steve Berlin, who's done a lot of great stuff as a producer lately and way back in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but cool. also the great. great saxophone player and uh, keyboard player for the Sunrise fabulous Lobos. Showing up with nothing to say. 25 minutes and they're on their way. They get to leave. You gotta stay. Oh, white collar. What you going to do? White collar. But so I love that song, White Collar. That's a really good one. Thank that you. That seems like it's kind of political, too. <laughs> well, it's about, 
not not having to be accountable be held accountable for your horrible for your, behavior. Yeah. Cool, and man. That's about that's about sums it up. And I mean, we made a little video for it, which I encourage you to check out. Oh, I, will. I um I was gonna do this video before we all got locked down, and I was trying to figure out how to do it. But fortunately, we already had the idea of it being a semi-animated video using mm -hmm. like action figures so check yeah. it out and it turned out that we were able to do the whole thing distance me and the director and oh, cool. um i even got my son to shoot any kind of footage of me like singing nice. so i i'm in it but uh the rest of the band's not really in it and it's mostly you know these staged animated um shots so check it out cool. for the I will. It's up there on our we on will. our YouTube page, which is Fastball the Band. Great, and you have a show coming up in a few days. We in do. A week or We're so. getting ready to rehearse for a drive-in show. <laughs> we'll see. October twenty third. We'll yeah, that goes. October twenty third here in the Austin area. We're playing a drive-in concert, and right we'll see how that goes. And we're planning on doing some touring in 2021, but we don't know yet. So we'll see. Cool. How many people die before now and then, and we'll make our decisions. If America continues as a concept, we'll see. Yeah. And that should it be interesting. <laughs> I it think will. It will. We're just not going to be the big daddy that we thought we were. And the real job is avoiding war with other, the other big powers. Right. And I think we can do that. I don't believe that China or Russia or India are, are interested in going to war. are interested in getting in wars. I really no, don't believe they not. are. And well, um, this is... we need to get that out of our system. I mean, like it's over. That violence right. thing has to stop. Absolutely. And along with that, let's get keep the planet from uh, burning up and flooding, yeah. and yeah. we'll be all right because people yeah, are man. good. Yeah. People just need to be educated. That's a good to-do list for for the world. That's a good way yeah. to end. And also make yeah, let's end the racism. God's sake. All right. Or for whoever's sake. Yeah. These are all really good, really <laughs> oh, good uh, tips. The, <laughs> let's get rid of the religion and the government too. Yes. Yeah. I like it, man. You figured it all out. <laughs> That's it. Those are all the things we're to live said, by. Everything I said can get me in trouble with some group of people. That's all right. <laughs> That's all right. Oh, they I'll say one up. more thing. One more thing. It's like I never had anybody say, uh, I like you guys. Fastball, you just play your music. It's all about the music, and uh, you don't talk about politics and stuff like that. And the only people who ever say that to me are fucking right-wing assholes. <laughs> they're the only ones yep everybody I've else they that. don't even think about stuff like that right people love Joe Strummer because of his politics exactly people Bob love Marley. John Lennon yeah because of his, exactly. you know I can't right. say the things John Lennon said can I right sure I guess I guess want. I can anyway I'll leave it at that <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a good place to end it. Thanks for talking to me, man. This has been great. Yeah. You can hear it. It's all gone fuzzy on the TV screen. I guess I should
All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Tony Scalzo of Fastball. Hope you enjoyed it. Please continue to subscribe and comment on Apple, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is episode 25. Thanks, everyone, for getting us to 25. 25. Look for more to come. And please make sure you're all set up to vote in the next week or two. Also, if you're in the Austin, Texas area, go see Fastball on October 23rd at 8 p.m. They're playing at Cedar Park. Go check that out. If you're in the New York area, my band Mellow Main is playing a reunion show October 30th at 5 p.m. at Cold Spring Point in Cold Spring. Come check us out. And go to pierredegayon.com for information about all my latest musical projects and for information about this podcast. And please, if you haven't already, and if it's not too late, sign up to be a poll worker in your area. Obviously, register to vote and obviously get yourself to the poll either early if you can or on November 3rd. And vote Democrat all the way, all across the ticket. It's better for the earth. It's better for you. It's better for those you love. Don't just take my word for it. Look into it. Read up. See what the candidates are talking about. Hear it from their own mouth. All right, everybody. Thank you. Please be sure to subscribe and comment. And thanks again for listening. Goodbye. Peace Peace and love. love.